What we're going to do now is cross to the United States. David Kilby, by the way, is with us in this uh, hour of the program as well. But before we get to him, Celeste Katzmarston is with us in Boston, Massachusetts. Celeste, good morning. Good morning. What a week it's been, Celeste. <laughs> what a week it's been. Well, what a fortnight since last we met. Uh, you know, last time we spoke... You know, the worst thing that was happening was that Clarence Thomas was, you know, under fire. Now we've got a former um, former U.S. president on trial for rape. We've got uh, one of the biggest names in American TV losing his job. And we've got a bizarre story about the mayor of Boston's portrait. But anyway, let's start with E. Jean Carroll. She is the woman who has finally got to tell her story to a jury in New York about what happened in uh, the Bergdorf Goodman dressing room or changing room uh, back, well, in the 90s with Donald Trump. What has she said? She says that Donald Trump raped her in a department store dressing room or changing room uh, sometime in the mid-1990s, that she kept this fairly secret for a long time she didn't come forward to file charges and so on that she was afraid of him but there was an opportunity for uh, victims of sexual assault people who had claims of sexual assault to come forward under new york law um, even long after the incident occurred and so that is what she did and now the case is on trial this is a, a civil case related to um damages that she's seeking as a result of what she says happened. So she gave some pretty uh, um, say explicit, but certainly some, uh, she gave, you know, her story about what happened in pretty, uh, uh, you know, specific detail, didn't she? Yeah, she, I mean, she's describing, she's not talking about like an unwanted advance at a party or a date that went wrong. She's actually talking about a, a very physical and, and rather violent uh, encounter here. Um, this again, this is back in the 1990s. There's been some issues under cross examination about the fact that she seems to be having trouble pinning down an exact date or even uh, the season or the year of the occurrence. But uh, she is not backing off on the fact that this has happened. Uh, Trump is not in the courtroom himself, but he has made a number of comments about this on his social media platform that have have been an issue as well. Yeah, the judge has told him not to do that. He's not in court, though. I mean, that's a I don't know how the legal system in America works, uh, but surely shouldn't he be there on the defense table? I don't know if it's that he's not allowed to be there or that he might be there at a later time, but he certainly has, uh, you know, lawyers representing him. Uh, representing his side of this story in the in the case and you know he's out there busy running for president mm. again <laughs> i wonder whether some of his comments when he was running for president the first time will come back to be mentioned in this court case we've heard what he has said about the way he you know treated women or uh, approached women a couple of notorious comments that he made. Do you think that's going to come up at any point as some sort of evidence against him? I think that usually, um, and and having been called for jury service or serving on a jury, typically they advise people to um, 
limit their their deliberations and their consideration to the facts that are laid out before them yeah. in the courtroom. I think that's generally the process, but as human beings, I mean, can you unsee or unhear, even with jury screening and so on? Can you forget? Can you really do that and limit things only to what is placed before you? I think that for most people, it's difficult to do that. So this could be far more serious than the other case that, you know, and there are several cases that he's really facing at the moment, uh, but, you know, to do with, uh, say, January 6th. But this is a criminal trial that what happens if he's found guilty? Well, in, in this case, there's, I mean, these are uh, this is civil, civil proceeding, these, not criminal. Yeah, yeah, civil proceeding. So, I mean, this could be, a, you know, financial damages. It's a, it's damages for the actual um, allegations of rape. And there's also a defamation aspect of this because uh, when Trump has been confronted about whether or not this occurred or about her accusations, he said uh, he's called them a lie and a hoax. He said that she uh, is, quote unquote, not his type. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, so this is this is sort of a civil proceeding here. Hmm. All right. So he's not going to go to jail. I'm sorry. So he. I mean, I'm sorry if I gave that impression. Uh, hmm. But he would be, you know, if he's found guilty, there's some kind of you know financial damages that would have to be paid. Right. I mean, this is this is a question of. Uh, this is not a trial in the court of public opinion, which he typically, I think. Uh, you know, has a lot of people that he can he can spin up to support him or that people can, quote unquote, make up their own minds or whatever. I mean, this is an actual courtroom proceeding with rules and, and regulations and evidence and cross-examination. If he comes out of this, um, you know, being found to have uh, committed some sort of error or to have caused damage to uh, Jean Carroll uh, as, as a result of a trial, I mean, yeah, that's I would think that would matter to people as they consider whether or not he should serve another term as president. Now, you say that, Celeste, but we know... I would, I would it, think. <laughs> well, but we know that the president, when he was running for president first time, the former president now, he made it clear he could shoot someone dead in Times Square and not lose a single vote. Even if he's found guilty in this case, even if he's found guilty in every other case that he's got to face at some point in the next couple of years... I reckon there'd be no way he would lose votes. Well, I, I mean, and a, and a lot of people have been talking about this. Were he to be, uh, I mean, he has been indicted in the past. Is there anything that prevents somebody for from running for president of the United States um, while being under indictment or for that matter, being charged or convicted of a crime? I mean, there's a lot of discussion about it, but certainly the Constitution does not specifically uh, disqualify somebody from running for president under those circumstances. So, yeah, I, I mean, potentially, uh, could it affect how people think of him or if they're no. on the fence or they have other concerns about him? It could, but no. does it actively prevent him from serving again? As far as I can tell, I don't think it does. Do you, I mean, I'm, I'm honestly asking, do you think that there are still people in America that are on the fence about Donald Trump who haven't made up their mind about how they feel about him? I think that a lot of people, I, I mean, people are familiar with him. They may not. Um, I think in a, in a vacuum, people probably have an opinion about Donald Trump. Um, if people are looking at it as a binary, Donald Trump or 
the other person, Donald Trump or Joe Biden, Donald Trump or somebody else, you know, if, if there were to be a primary and they had some other choice. So I think in a binary situation, um, there's probably a little more wiggle room. Most people know what they think about him. Yeah. It's not a mystery who he is or, or yeah. what he has done as president. He has a record now. Of course, in the U.S., it's not really a binary situation, is it? It's it's not one or the other. It's one or the other, or I'm not going to bother to vote at all. Well, a lot of people do take that option. A lot of people uh, sit it out. They don't register in time. Uh, in some cases, they might have some difficulty uh, actually casting a ballot, but um, that that is an option. We do not have compulsory voting in the United States. All right. Now, also this week, Tucker Carlson a loathsome individual. Uh, he has followed in the grand tradition of Bill O'Reilly, Sarah Palin, Lou Dobbs, Megan Kelly, Roger Ailes, Bob Beckel, Glenn Beck, being sacked or let go or parted ways, I think is what they said, with Fox News. Now, to lose one of them, you know, would be unfortunate. To lose all of them, is it, it doesn't that tell you that there might be something wrong with this network, given that... The other ones, like CNN, they lose people from time to time, and MSNBC tend not to. That those kind of news channels don't have the same problems with their staff that obviously exist at Fox News. Well, it, it I think it comes down in some cases to the individual. You have seen these very high-profile cases, uh, not only among the talent, the people that you see on the air as anchors or hosts or whatever, but in the leadership. They've, they've had issues at Fox News in the past, and that's not to say that CNN, certainly, or MSNBC sure. or these other networks have not had those problems, but I think Tucker Carlson is almost a singular figure in terms of his immense popularity with uh, the viewing public, a segment of the viewing public, and how much influence he has wielded. I mean, you know, Tucker Carlson didn't was not sort of sprung out of the head of Fox News. He's been on other stations. He's been on CNN. Um, but he became this very, very focal point of a lot of, um, I guess you might want to say uh, a certain viewpoint, certain conservative viewpoint, but also about these grievances um, and these conspiracy theories, frankly. Um, so for the network to cut ties with him, it looks like it might have been this sort of confluence of events. Uh, I mean, not only the things he said about the January 6th insurrection or uh, airtime that he gave to people who were promoting conspiracy theories about the election, but there's also been a lot of reporting about his uh, interactions with people inside the network, his attitudes and postures towards uh, the leadership of Fox News. And so um, I don't think it's just one thing necessarily, but uh, there are a lot of things that could have played a part here. As I think it was a Hemingway when asked how we went broke, you said gradually, then suddenly. I mean, that's the same <laughs> thing here, isn't it? It's gradually, you know, he annoyed a lot of people and then suddenly he was kind of gone. It is not all those things though that you talked about the you know the the half baked conspiracy theories and the fully baked conspiracy theories for that matter and the uh, the, the, the support of you know ridiculous theories about uh, January the sixth as well, but it's it's the way they reckon that that there's these emails which have not been seen by most people. Um, where he was critical of the Fox News management. That was what brought him down. And in the end, Lachlan Murdoch decided, we're going to let you go. I mean, his sort of rubbish has already cost them 
$780 million with this particular court case against the Dominion voting machines, which people swallowed whole here. Some people hear the same rubbish served up on a garbage TV station in Australia, um, that they hear that stuff and they believe it. Now that the facts are have been laid out that it was all rubbish and they knew it was rubbish and they kept saying it. I think that in the Dominion case, the the um, voting machine case, the defamation case, uh, certainly Tucker Carlson was not the only uh, on-air talent or uh, person behind the scenes who was involved in that. But I mean, he is sort of the face to a great extent of Fox News. And that was a big deal. They did lose, uh, you know, $700 million. I don't care how uh, popular Fox News is or how much money it, it makes uh, in a year or something like that. But uh, that's a lot of money. And and that is certainly a, a consideration. Now, there are other Fox News hosts who were involved in named in that suit and whose um, messaging and behavior was involved in that case that still have their jobs. So clearly, you would think that there's something else. I mean, yeah. Carlson has other cases um, that he's involved in right now. But again, from what I understand, um, Fox News is not just about Tucker Carlson. It's about the Murdochs. And they seemed, you know, there's been a lot of reporting on whether they felt like, um, you know, his popularity was not outweighing his unwillingness to challenge them to to not take direction from the top of the organization. And that's a really big deal. And, you know, finally, the last thing I would say is that although he was drawing a tremendous amount of viewers, um, there were a lot of people who wouldn't advertise on a show anymore. Because yeah. some of the things that he was saying and some of the behaviors that were involved. So uh, sometimes you have a, a really uh, a really bright shine on you if you're acting a certain way, but you're also making tons and tons of money mm. for your employer, for the yeah. network or for your company. And that may have been in question um, when it yes. came to Tucker Carlson. Look, it's happened in Australia as well when high profile you know, radio hosts start costing their employer money because they lost, lose court cases. That that's when they let them go. They can say what they like, you know, and they're encouraged to say outrageous things. But once it it hits the bottom line, then uh, they're in trouble. Um, meanwhile, on the other side, and Celeste Katzmaston is our guest. The Democrats, Joe Biden as president, he's doing an okay job, I think. But you know, he's going to be eighty-two. Eighty-two. By the time he would be sworn in, I think, uh, if he wins again. Uh, is that the answer to what's going on on the uh, Republican side? Well, I mean, Biden seems to think so. He says he doesn't feel his age. He doesn't perceive himself as a guy who would be 86 years old at the end of another term. I mean, that's, you know, that's a considerable age, a venerable age. Um, but he's just asking people to look at him and say, like, look, it's okay if you consider my age. It's a legitimate thing to consider. He's not pretending that he's uh, 30 years younger than he is, but he's saying based on his what he believes is his ability to perform, his, his sort of mental acuity, and also the danger that he believes Donald Trump and another Donald Trump term in the White House would pose to America, he feels compelled to do this and, you know, people have the freedom to vote for him or not. Yeah. Um... So uh, that's the case. People do have the freedom to vote for him or not. But, you know, whether he's going to switch uh, vice presidents as well, that's going to be interesting to see who he runs with. 
We shall see. Uh, and who is running against, that's also a really important thing. But, you know, it should be pointed out that unlike in Australia, 82 is not that old for a politician in America. You've had blokes in the Senate, Strom Thurmond, who was 100. Dianne Feinstein, I think, is, is close to 90. And I know she's got shingles problems and perhaps should step down from the Senate. But there are a lot of really old politicians in America. And 82, you know, that's not that bad. Well, yeah, I mean, we certainly do have older people serving. I don't know if the the vast majority of people in in uh, elected office in the United States are quite of that of that vintage, but uh, this is something that comes up periodically in U.S. politics. Should more offices have term limits, uh, even if you are elected when you are uh, much older? Should you only be able to serve for one or two terms? And for a lot of these offices, that's not the case. Uh, it is for president, but for other legislative offices, it's not the case. And people can get reelected perpetually until they yes. don't want to, until they can't, and and so on. So that's that's something we talk about a lot. Yeah, the only job really that is term limited is the president limited to two terms whereas uh, you can stay in the house of the senate for the you know for years 70 well, 50 years i mean ted kennedy was there for about 50 years or so uh and almost finally i think this morning this is a bizarre story about the governor of massachusetts governor maura healy uh look in every office official government office in America or you know, all around the world, American office, you've got a president, a picture of the president. I'm guessing uh, in official um, government offices throughout the state, they've got a, a picture of their governor. What has Governor Maura Healy done uh, in that regard? Right. So uh, Maura Healy is the, the relatively new governor of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And it's traditional when a new governor takes office to hang a framed portrait of some predecessor. Uh, it could be the most recent one. It could be uh, one from uh, decades ago, 100 years ago, whatever it may be. But in the case of Governor Healy, she has chosen to hang an empty frame with no portrait in it. Why? Well, actually, she had a, an essay contest for uh, high school kids, for students to uh make their arguments as to whose portrait she should display and why. And a, a lot of them had recommended um, Jane Swift, who was the uh, first woman to serve in the office. She was a former uh, lieutenant governor um, that she, she was serving when another governor uh, became ambassador to Canada from the United States. Um, other choices were out there, but some people argued, and apparently uh, convincingly, mm -hmm. that uh, an empty frame would uh, would represent people who are unseen and unheard in the halls of government, and that was a good thing to keep in mind. Really, I mean, people are going to walk past and think, "Oh, it's a frame on a wall." Are they going to think of oh, all the many people that don't get mentioned? Well, uh, to the extent that people are talking about it, as you and I are talking about it right now, I guess it 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 worked. I mean, it did get some attention. It is so, something very unusual. And, uh, you know, she's the first woman elected to the office. She's among the first uh, lesbian uh, women to serve as uh, a governor in the United States. So maybe in a way it's almost speaking to the fact that she is very much a break from from past history in Massachusetts, yeah. and that she's setting sort of a new a new direction or creating a new legacy. So why not put up a, a, a picture of a famous woman or a famous you know lesbian leader or something to make people think in that regard? 
that they deserve those pictures in the important places as well. Yeah, oh, I mean, certainly that was an option, but I, I think this is just something that seemed to be a, a fresh approach, and it also has the convenient, uh, the convenient effect of not having to pick one of the people who served in the past. All right, fair enough. Uh, that's her choice. Uh, John in Coburg, by the way, says uh, Fox also sacked Dan Borgino this week. I don't know him. Of course, CNN sacked Don Lemon. That was a bit sad, too. I like Don Lemon. Um, John in Coburg points out also that the Murdochs were happy to shut the successful 170-year-old News of the World newspaper in order to throttle a court case in 2011. They are ruthless, says John. That's John's view, by the way. Many people would disagree. It's an interesting one. Uh, Celeste, thank you very much for that. We Always shall a pleasure. talk again in a couple of weeks. Celeste Katzmarston in Boston, Massachusetts. Thanks very much, Celeste.